Brain sludge and self-respect. This is an extension of recapture and reallocate, and it is probably uh, the most esoteric but important topic we could talk about in this uh, core concepts and principles framework, and it'll all make sense if you make it to the end. It's going to be a little bit longer because when we talk about recapture and reallocate, people lose years or decades to not understanding the two frameworks I'm going to share. Just think about them. Okay. Don't have to do anything about them. I strongly recommend you make it through this and just let it sit in your brain for some amount of time. It is a core concept. It is one of the last of the core concepts and you'll kind of see how this is built when it comes to the end. Cause we map our entire curriculum to these principles and these frameworks. And of course, the tiers, more on that later. Now remember, volatility and velocity from the previous video, the Recapture Reallocate series. If you haven't seen it, go back and watch it so that you understand how we think about volatility and velocity. Now when we think about volatility and velocity, uh, we're thinking about recapturing the resources that go into being off track, right, and reallocating them to the straight line. So both uh, volatility and velocity in this context, we're really looking at peaks and valleys and mitigating peaks and valleys, uh, specifically valleys. Okay, can we mitigate valleys that uh, drives volatility down and it drives velocity up? What nobody wants to talk about, if you go back to the adaptive dilemma, it explains why. So make sure you've seen the adaptive dilemma that's in the foundations is emotional and cognitive peaks and valleys. You lose more resources when you are in an emotional valley or a cognitive valley than anything else. There's incalculable the amount of time, effort, energy, money that is hemorrhaged when your brain isn't working right, when you are confused about the way you feel, or you're just in an emotional doom loop. So again, two frameworks to help recapture that so that you can reallocate it. The first is the skills challenge matrix. Recapture emotion, motivation. Ever feel like you used to be so motivated that now you're not, or you have flashes of motivation and then it goes away. Uh, it's probably not what you think it is. And then time and bandwidth, let's recapture that and get it back just by understanding the skills challenge matrix and the relationship between uh, effort and skill. The second is the outcome bias doom loop by far the most important one, in my opinion, uh, where you can recapture the confidence, the emotional, uh, you know, attitude. It's really like changing the emotions towards moving forward and recapturing respect, both so that you can allocate it to the appropriate people, not the wrong people. So we got to recapture it. If you're giving respect to the wrong people, we got to recapture it so that we can reallocate it to the appropriate people and yourself. It's also a self-respect tool. It's very important. If you want to move forward with confidence, you have to have some level of self-respect for your decision-making. And so we're going to start with the skills challenge matrix. The question is, have you ever had a thought like this? I used to be able to line this up and knock this down. Now I can't get motivated to get it done. Where's my motivation? I must be getting old. You ever stared at the wall wondering why you can't do these tasks that you used to be able to do in an hour? 
first thought is like, ah, oh, my testosterone must be low. There's something wrong with my motivation. I'm not clear on my why. And all this stuff, that, this rhetoric that sounds good, I guess. But I'll tell you why a little bit later. Those are things that make sense quickly. And we don't want things to make sense quickly. I know it sounds weird. I'll explain later. Uh, but oftentimes, this is not actually what you think it is. Okay? Introducing the skills challenge matrix. So there's four quadrants here. Okay? The first one is high skill, high effort. If you're entrepreneurial, if you're super motivated, if you like to be challenged, for you, this is going to be flow. Okay? High skill, high effort stuff. It requires a lot of skill that you have to learn. Also requires a lot of effort, actual like trying hard. You can also have a high skill, low effort. It's like cathartic for me. Uh, I'll explain some uh, examples shortly. Low skill, high effort. It's hard work. It's like chopping wood or, you know, running five miles. It doesn't require a high level of skill. Almost anybody can do it, but it, it's hard to do. Okay? It requires uh, motivation and, and a high level of effort. And there's low skill, low effort, like just watching TV. This just kill time or like admin work. And again, I'll, I'll break it down. Now, there's actually a spectrum here. And uh, you can see it here. Okay, So they, they kind of inverted it. I, my brain processes it the way that I shared it, but this is a, another way to do it. And you see here, you have high skill, high challenge, high effort. And that's flow. You have a medium skill, high effort, and you're aroused. It's just enough to keep you interested. But if it's low skill, high effort... Uh, you have anxiety, and this might change slightly based on your personality, so you do have to know yourself. Uh, so you can see here, like boredom, medium skill, uh, low challenge, it's bored, okay? Low skill, low challenge, apathy. So it might, hopefully this makes sense, this is a spectrum. Now, here, skills challenge, or, sorry, skills challenge matrix last year, might have looked like this. You were mastering the guitar. You'd been learning how to play it, and you're just trying to get really good at it, really master the guitar. Or maybe you're trying to learn how to build funnels for your business or learning how to write compelling copy. Now, this is highly individual, and it's relative. There's no cookie-cutter answer. This is why you have to know yourself. Stop chasing other people's advice, in my opinion anyway, and really understand these principles and know yourself. So learning how to play, mastering the guitar is high skill for most people. It's going to be very difficult to develop that skill. It's going to require high effort. Okay, Learning how to build a funnel, it might be low skill, low effort for people that have done it for 10 years, but for you, it might be high skill, high effort. You've never even thought of a funnel before, and now you got introduced to one, so you have to learn it. You have to develop an entirely new skill, uh, and you have to put a lot of effort into doing it. So it's high skill, high effort. So it's possible that mastering the guitar or learning how to build a funnel, you're in flow. The motivation is intrinsic. It's there. Same with learning how to write compelling copy. A high skill, low effort might be playing chess against family. If you are a uh, chess master, you have a skill that very few people in the world have. But when you're playing against your family, you don't have to try very hard. So it falls here. A low skill, high effort, chopping wood, especially on a deadline or to meet a quota. Right, any like manual labor that pretty much anybody could do, but you're the one that's going to show up and do it. And then low skill, low effort could be admin work. Like literally anybody 
I could tr- teach anybody how to do this and they would do it for minimum wage uh, or like watching Netflix. So sometimes it can be cathartic and sometimes it's extremely stressful. Does this make sense? Now, say this was you last year and you could just get up and build funnels. You do five pages a day, wake up early, get it done, no pause. And now all of a sudden you're staring at the wall, losing days because you swear you used to be able to do this. And now I can't. What's wrong with me? Well, these are the same tasks that used to be flow for you have now moved quadrants. Now that you have mastered the guitar and you are happy with your progress, you can just play it. It's it's cathartic. You can just pick it up and play it. You don't have it doesn't put you in this flow state anymore. It's just relaxation. Writing compelling copy, maybe it's just natural to you. Just you could just fire up a, a Word doc and write something that's better than 99% of the world could ever write. So it's very high skill, but it doesn't require a ton of focus and effort anymore. And building funnels, like now that you've learned how to funnel hack, it's low skill, low effort. Like you could teach anybody how to do this, All right? And so it's the same skills, but you are in an entirely different psychological state. So it's not saying, hey, what's wrong with me? It's not that I used to be able to build funnels. I used to be able to get motivated to to pick up the guitar and play. It's actually that you used to have things in a flow state and now you do not. And so all that time that you spend wishing you had motivation or staring at your wall or refreshing your Google Doc screen, uh, wondering what's wrong, there may be nothing wrong outside of you've just, you haven't properly uh, characterized or categorized what these tasks are now. And you can recapture all of that waste of sitting around wondering why you're not motivated anymore and uh, reallocate it to something more useful. And if you're entrepreneurial, uh, business owner, if people tell you you have ADD, then you probably need to have things in this high skill, high effort, this flow state quadrant. And if everything moves out, you're going to be useless. You're going to be useless. You're going to be living in uh, apathy and relaxation and boredom. And that's not. There's nothing wrong with you. It's not that these tasks... Uh, are wrong, they're just in a different quadrant. Yeah, you're gonna cycle through these things. So if you know yourself and you know what kind of tasks you need to do and you keep a balance, like if you're entrepreneurial, if you're a business owner or like a serial entrepreneur, like 80% of what you do has to be in here or you're gonna keep hitting this wall. And when you hit a wall, you waste days or weeks or months getting nothing done, swearing you're gonna get it done tomorrow, but it's not gonna come. The muse will not strike. And if you know that about yourself, you can adjust. You can recapture all of that time and reallocate it appropriately. It's a little bit different, uh, but it's very, very important. Just remember, the same task can fall in a different quadrant. So it's not that you used to be able to do build funnels for eight hours. You used to be able to do flow activities for eight hours. You can still do flow activities for eight hours. You just have to properly categorize what you're looking at or what problem you're solving for. Then you can recapture and reallocate that. Okay, so that's the game, recapture, reallocate. Now the second one, the second framework is the outcome bias doom loop. This one's going to be a little bit longer. Uh, I'm dedicating time to this one because I think it's one of the most important things anybody can understand. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with the Dunning-Kruger effect, which is uh, the more competent somebody is, the less confidence they have up to a certain point. 
which means there's a whole bunch of really stupid people on top of the peak of Mount Stupid that believe that they are very intelligent and a whole bunch of really intelligent people that don't believe they're really intelligent. The problem is uh, people have a very hard time orienting themselves. So there's a lot of really intelligent people that doubt themselves and they're looking up at these total idiots thinking that they're smart and now you have some of the most gifted people following some of the less gifted people and that sets societies back. I mean industry, societies, entire groups of people back decades sometimes. And uh, it's a byproduct of the outcome bias doom loop. Okay. Most of the people taught Mount Stupid actually have had success because of luck, which means they have a ton of uh, confidence because they were successful. And that is because time and randomness has reared its head again. Okay. Randomness and luck can be used interchangeably when randomness happens and has a favorable outcome we call it good luck when randomness happens with an unfavorable outcome we call it bad luck randomness and luck are the same it's something unexpected that we did not account for that happened uh, and go back to the uh, uh, engineering luck training if you want a deeper dive on time and randomness hey, the reality is a good decision can have a poor outcome it happens all the time you imagine playing poker if you are a master poker player sometimes you can play the hand you were dealt the best it can be played and you can still lose the best possible decision can have a poor outcome and a stupid ass decision can have a positive outcome you could be playing somebody that has no idea how to play poker and they made a really bad decision and just by chance that last card made them a winner all the time so it looks like this this is the matrix the outcome bias doom loop matrix a good decision has a favorable outcome this makes perfect sense to us yes you made a good decision and you had a favorable outcome you decided to to go to college to be a doctor instead of being a stripper and uh, you became one of the highest paid doctors in the world that that makes sense we can wrap our minds around that a poor decision with an unfavorable outcome also makes sense, right? Okay, well, you made a bad decision and something bad happened. Yeah, no shit. This is, we make perfect sense of this. The other two quadrants are where it gets tricky because when a poor decision has a favorable outcome, it is disguised as competence. This is an incompetent person appearing to be competent. And when a good decision has an unfavorable outcome, it is a competent person being disguised as incompetent. This is like watching that poker game I was describing and thinking that the total dumbass player is the better player because they got lucky. Now this happens over and over and over and over, over years and years and years in every domain and it gets people way, way, way off track. Okay? So there's great danger here. Tremendous amount of danger in uh, thinking that a favorable outcome means it was a good decision. And I'll explain that in a second. And there's also uh, grave danger in you could have one of the best decision makers in the world as a friend and bad luck, they have a bad outcome and you stop listening to them. Like that's very, more importantly though, is when you make a good decision and the outcome is unfavorable 
and you start to doubt yourself and you start looking to the peak of Mount Stupid for advice, this happens all the time, uh, now you're going to lose years or decades because you're going to start following the blind and it's only a matter of time before they end up in the Valley of Despair as well and you're 5, 10, 15 years behind where you would be if you understood how to uh, avoid this outcome bias. So great, great, great danger uh, in luck and randomness if you don't know how to sift through it, which is what I'm going to try to help you do. So an outcome bias, that is the villain here. It's judging the validity of a person or a decision or even an outcome based on the result instead of the logic, reasoning, and evidence behind the decision. So you did this and this happened, therefore you're smart or dumb. That's a huge leap of logic. You did this, what was the logic, reasoning, and evidence behind doing that decision? It is very possible that people that have made the best possible decision and due to randomness and luck, they still had an unfavorable outcome. However, their decision-making framework is still the best one moving forward. And like our poker player, or like somebody that plays Russian roulette and wins, it's a huge mistake to think that because they won, that I should also make those decisions, or they made a good decision. Russian roulette is not a good decision, even though five out of six are going to win. The logic, reasoning, evidence suggests it's not worth it. So we judge the validity based on strictly an outcome, strictly a result. And then, because we're not accounting for randomness, we form an opinion to position or reposition ourselves and others. Right. Boom. We form an opinion. Wow, we're dumb and they're smart. Now on this chart, we can see, no, they have very little competence. But this is what happens if we're not aware that we're subject to this outcome bias. We reposition ourselves. We start doubting ourselves. We start doubting other smart people. And we start uh, respecting people that don't make good decisions. They just get lucky. And that luck is going to run out. So we reposition ourselves, we reposition others. And you know what? It makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense because everything makes sense in hindsight, especially when we form narratives quickly. We do not want to make sense of things quickly. All the way back to the open loops training. If you make sense of things quickly, you are a ticking time bomb. It is a countdown to doomsday. And I'll explain that in a minute. I know it's hard because everybody wants their closed loops. So everything makes sense. And then we start rewarding bad decisions because they had good outcomes thanks to Lady Luck. We see falls from grace all the time because the people that we put on the pedestal were not actually good decision makers. They just got lucky. Okay, so we, re we reward bad decisions. So we don't learn from good decisions, survivorship bias, uh, and we begin to model the bad ones. So the good decisions were made, but they may have had a poor outcome. So we didn't learn from them. We ignore them entirely. Uh, and we start modeling bad outcomes, bad decisions, right? We start modeling bad decision-making frameworks. So it's important to remember a good decision that turns out poorly is still a good decision. And a bad decision that turns out favorably is still a bad decision. Okay? That means we need to discern or examine the logic, reasoning, and evidence that went into the decision, the decision itself, not 
just the outcome. The outcome is important. It is data. But it's not the sole indicator of competence or the quality of the decision. So like I said, by immediately making sense of an outcome, ignoring randomness and falling victim to the outcome bias, you rob yourself of a learning experience. It's very important. You have to, there's no updating of the decision-making criteria. If you make quick sense of something, you haven't examined all the variables that went into it. Therefore, you cannot learn. And it looks like a version of this. Got it. That makes sense because we want to close the loop. We haven't really examined it deeply, but we, we, we want to make sense of it quickly, which means we've learned from a largely fabricated experience. Because of that, we have a high level of certainty and an expectation based on this fabricated experience. And then, because our expectation was based on a fabricated experience, reality does not meet expectation. You ever been in a position where you were certain that Bitcoin was going to go to 100 grand and it didn't? And now you're just like, what are you going to do? You don't even have your own set of logic, reasoning, and evidence as to why it was going to. So how can you adjust your expectations to, to get closer to reality? You can't. Does that make sense? So reality does not meet expectation, and we're kind of up shit's creek without a paddle because we don't even know the logic, reasoning, evidence that, that got us there. We were just following somebody else because they seem smart. Hey, now when reality does not meet expectation, we become toxic and we victimize ourselves. We were so certain that this had to happen that when it doesn't, we are confused and we are lost up Shit's Creek without a paddle again. And we don't have the, the base set of decision criteria that got us there. So we don't know how to get out of it. So we become victims. We become angry. We polarize, which I'll talk about in just a second, okay? because reality did not meet expectation. When that expectation becomes an opinion how things should have been, which was all formed from a false fabricated experience, it creates polarization. High ticket's better than low ticket. Well, there's probably middle ground, and there's probably a if, or, a then. You know, there, there, there's a whole range of options. But you can tell when you start being polarized or you see polarization, they're often operating from an outcome bias. Okay? Us versus them left versus right. This is when reality doesn't mean expect, expectation and it has become an opinion of how things should be even though the way you got there is fabricated. There's no logic, reasoning, and evidence that gets us there that is sound. So making sense of things quickly is very dangerous. That's why from the very beginning, our very first training is called Open Loops. It's to, to prevent people from making sense of things quickly. It's cognitively lazy and you never learn from it. Uh, even if you're pretty sure, you don't have to make sense of it. Go examine the decision-making framework. Uh, else you fall victim to the doom loop. The doom loop. This is when a convenient story is created. This is lazy thinking. Convenient story is created from the outcome bias. You label people and yourself all the way back to Dunning-Kruger. Well, they did better than me. They won. I lost. Therefore, 
they must be smarter than I am. And you prof- prophesize the future and you basically just adopt whatever they prophesize because you've already decided they're smarter than you. Not knowing that they have no idea what they're doing. They just got lucky in a poker game, right? So you prophesize this future. And when that future reality fails to meet expectation, it creates a massive, massive doom loop of anxiety. And people do lose weeks, months, years, or decades trying to reorient themselves to get a handle on reality and how to behave accordingly. And so it's very top-down. Story created. Story first. Label self and people based on a story and then prophesize future based on the labels and the story. This is entirely made up. It will not match reality. So instead of doing this top-down, what we do in the Garden Academy and the CCA and my other programs and, and what you know, there's going to be more content on this later on, is we work from the bottom up. Fundamentals first. Principles. These are unchanging and universal. Our our trainings in the Guardian Academy start with foundations. People ask, like, why aren't there more details? Where's all the technical stuff about crypto and this and that? And they're already trying to create a convenient story before they have the fundamentals. You got to be aware of this. Because you can always re-reason. So let, let me show you, when you have a convenient story created, somebody gives you a story or you just believe a story, label self and people, prophesize future, and it doesn't work, where do you start? You just make up a new story? There's nothing to reason from. Hey, there's no way to reason to a better place. When you start with fundamental principles, you can always reason to a new uh, technical or narrative. So let me explain. Fundamental principles are, again, unchanging principles. If we understand them, we can go into any industry and reason through the details or the technical components of that industry. The narrative is just the words that are used, like the story that is told. That can change. It doesn't matter if this story changes as long as it is reasoned to from the technicals and the technicals are reasoned to from the fundamentals. So the the decision-making framework is actually what are the fundamentals of life in general? Yeah, well, we know the fundamentals. If you're going through Guardian Academy, again, f- uh, foundations and core principles, these are the fundamentals. From here, we can figure out the details. You can figure them out on your own. You don't have to rely on us. That's the point, to give you the power of the self-efficacy to reason through what works for you. And then whatever, however that manifests itself is the narrative, okay? So we're looking at a decision. What were the fundamentals? What principles were violated or applied? What were the technical details? You might find that the principles were fine, but they were wrong on one of the details, and that's why there was a poor outcome. All right, well, guess what? Because we examine the decision-making criteria, we can fix that detail and get a better result next time. Can't do that when you're just blindly adopting stories. Yeah, hopefully that makes sense. Uh, so as you do this, fundamental, tactical, narrative, not narrative, tactical, fundamental, uh, reality starts to get closer to expectation. And every iteration, it gets closer and closer and closer because you re-reason through the decision and you update it every time with new information. This gives you power over the outcome. It gives you the ability to recapture all that time wasted following, you know, the blind leading the blind type thing. 
you can recapture all the resources that go into focusing on uh, poor decisions and reallocate it to making better decisions for yourself, which if you can orient with this framework, you can then start to develop the self-respect necessary to continue to make decisions for yourself. And even if they're poor outcomes, we don't say we're dumb. We say, huh, what, how did I make this decision? You see the difference between something going wrong and going, man, I'm stupid and something going wrong and saying, huh, let me examine the logic, reasoning, and evidence that went into that decision so that I can improve it. So next time around, I'm a little bit closer. And sometimes it's just luck. So in one scenario, you are powerless and you are polarizing and victimized. In the other scenario, you are earning self-respect and you are gaining control, self-efficacy and power over the outcome. That's why it's so important, in my opinion, of course. And you're learning. Again, it gives you the tools, ability to continue to refine and close the gap. You're not up Schitt's Creek without a paddle ever. If you can understand poor decisions can have good outcomes, good decisions can have poor outcomes. Therefore, I must examine the logic, reasoning, and evidence that led me to this decision so that I can update my own decision making. It's like a Bayesian updating of sorts. Now, when the gap between expectation and reality gets smaller, guess what you've done? You have driven down volatility and gained velocity. You have recaptured cognitive and emotional resources and reallocated them towards being productive and getting closer to the things that you want. Hopefully that all makes sense. So recapture your bandwidth, recapture your respect, reallocate it appropriately. Get all the people that you think are really good decision makers because they've had some good outcomes, examine the logic, reasoning, and evidence. Does it make sense? If not, you can recapture that respect and give it to yourself or somebody else with a, a stronger decision-making criteria. And we do that, again, by keeping top of mind and front focus on logic, reasoning, and evidence behind the decision, not solely the outcome. The outcome does provide us information. It's a multivariable equation. So the outcome is part of that equation, but it is not the sole component that we judge people or decisions by. Hopefully that makes sense. I'll add the resources. You might want to go through this a couple times. And of course, live to learn, give to earn. I can't wait to see the six word updates and uh, what people have to say about this one. Thanks for listening to the Garden Academy podcast. Hope it was helpful. If so, do us a favor, subscribe, leave us a review. Now remember, live to learn, give to earn. Reflect on and wrestle with any new ideas that you heard in this episode, and then turn around and share your experience with others. Remember, many of the audio files were pulled from video and turned into articles in our Knowledge Center, which you can access for free. There will be a link in the description. If you want to stay in the loop and hear more about what our members, our partners, and the community is doing, both in the real world and the Web3 world, check out our friends at Inside the Den podcast. Not only are they great dudes, they're highlighting and interviewing the movers and the shakers, and they helped us set up this podcast to be simple, helpful, and fun.